Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 9:30. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, special topic Thursday, an evening that is tailored to your question. Now, this Thursday we are going to take a break from your question per se, and I have invited once again the station manager Andrew Palmquist to join me. You know, we get in these, I think, very life-giving conversations, just not about Catholicism, but just more generally Christianity. And I often find that in these conversations, there are things that come up by the grace of God, (laughs) co-Andrew and I, that are relevant to the discussions I have each and every Thursday. So uh, for a second time, I've asked him to join me. Andrew, it's great to have you with me this evening. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be back. So, Andrew, the, the main question that we were kind of orbiting around, if you will, sanctification, uh, salvation, once and, and for all sacrifice, what do you do with all of this? So maybe we could start with that question, however you want to pose it. How do we see the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ for sin, and is it necessarily a once-for-all one time in history that all sin is paid for, stamped, paid in full? Or can we say that there's still sin out there that can be committed that is an unpaid for sin? Yeah, so I think what you have there, Andrew, is a two-part question. There's only one Jesus Christ who can ransom us from our sin. There's only one Jesus Christ who can save us from our sin. And yes, he paid it in full. Mm. But one of the things that St. Paul highlights is that as he paid it in full, as he restores us in proper health, proper relationship, and that's what the word salvation means, by the way. The word salvation comes from the Latin salvatio. Mm. Uh, The root there, Andrew, is save, to heal or healing balm. And in principle, it speaks to a restoration, a restoration to health, even more specifically, a restoration to a healthy relationship. And of course, this is what we acquire in baptism. But to the second part of the question, I think this is so important. St. Paul says, we are sanctified in Jesus Christ, yet we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. If you're to go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 10, 11, 12, and following, he says that salvation is a working out, an active tense, if you will. And of course, once you say that, you, you now address the much larger topic of salvation and the relationship between faith and works. Uh, because I know there's many faith denominations that say, well, we are saved by faith alone. But what we have to remember is what James says in chapter 2, verse 17, that faith without works is dead. What St. James is speaking to there is what St. Paul talked about in his letter to Rome, and another very important passage in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, and, and uh, chapter 16, verse 26, he speaks to this obedience of faith. Okay, this obedience of faith. What is the obedience of faith? Well, we have to remember that St. Paul was the prized pupil of one Rabbi Gamaliel, who you're probably aware from Acts 5, right? This great rabbi, Rabbi Gamaliel, was kind of the, the rabbi of all rabbis, minus, of course, Jesus Christ. 
and Paul, then Saul, right, was his prized people. So he had the Old Testament on his fingertips. And so when he's writing his letters, he's doing so with the Old Testament mind. All of this is relevant, I think, to your questions, Andrew, because in Romans 1, 5, and 16, 26, he's translating the Old Testament vision of faith, which in the Hebrew is emunah, best translated as responsive listening. And so in Romans 1, 5 and 16, 26, that's what he's translating, the obedience of faith or the obedience that springs from faith or even more provocatively, the obedience that is faith. Even the word obedience means to listen. So the whole idea there is when you talk about faith and being saved in faith, once we understand it in that context, it's first about a restoration of relationship with the understanding that any good relationship is about a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a listen-response conversation, to then understand that once you go deeper into that relationship, once you go deeper into that uh, conversation and to God, faith conversation, right? You now have to look at that differently and say, well, if you love God in faith, then how are you going to see that but in the works? So James says, faith without works is dead. St. Paul says, we work out our salvation in fear and trembling with the premise that salvation is about this ongoing relationship, this ongoing uh, healing relationship. Uh, And just by way of postscript to your first question, Andrew, the word vulnerability, and this always strikes me, is a word in the Latin vulneratio that means a healing healing. Uh, You know, Jesus says, imitate me in being humble. Imitate me in my simplicity. He could have just as well said, I think, Andrew, imitate me in my vulnerability on the cross. And I think that's missing a lot in our churches in the easy believism that sometimes is the Protestant church. For clarification, Andrew, you mean to say that uh, we just say we're saved by faith alone and we don't interrogate <laughs> the meaning of that word, inquire into the meaning of that word? Is that... It, and that sometimes you say, you say you're say you saved by faith, but you don't walk through it in actions, and you don't ever become vulnerable. Mm, that's well said. And so yeah. that God, God requires us to have an exchange, even if it's not a fair one. We have to give up ourself in exchange for the substitutionary sacrifice. Mm. And some people... They want to take from God, but they say, don't you dare tell me what to do. Mm. You are not my master. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Pe- but people are so, they're so intent on not being owned for whatever reason that is, if it's media or culture or, or Satan and the flesh and other things that get in the way. But we, you feel like if you give yourself over and become vulnerable to Christ— then now you have a, a master-servant relationship, and he might manipulate or take advantage of or whatever your fear is. Yeah. But that's necessary, the vulnerability, uh, turning yourself over to God is more than just saying, give me free salvation. What does it mean to say love, right? Love is to will the good of the other for the sake of other without any expectation or without any calculation in return, right? I mean, that's the fundamental definition of love that is revealed on the cross. And I like the phrase you used, to, to walk through that deeper understanding of faith is really to work out 
salvation and fear and trembling with the understanding that, yeah, we need to take those necessary steps to pass through our own paschal mystery, right? Doctrinally, do you feel comfortable to say that all sin has been paid for at the cross, and it's just whether or not we accept or reject Christ? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And now Christ, we have to remember in the paschal mystery, Christ descends so as to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's always an emphasis on God the Father. There's always an emphasis on the person of Jesus Christ. There is an importance on our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have to renew that relationship with the Holy Spirit, that in the end, this working out our salvation in fear and trembling is about our relationship with the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might indeed become more saved each and every day as we, as we walk our journey of faith. And I think you can have a, a believer that sins, and you can have a sinner that pretends to believe. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes they both are mirror images of each other, mm. depending on the day. Mm. Mm. But the difference, hopefully, is that the believer will go back to the cross, and the sinner will use the cross only because they think it has some mystical power. Yeah. In the end, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. And what we have to understand is what that future of the saint is all about is a very real relationship with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15 says, We do not receive the spirit of slavery in which, we, in which we fall back in fear, but the spirit of sonship in which we cry, Abba, Father. It's that invocation of Abba, Father, that is the beginning of the working out of our salvation. Because, again, I cannot reinforce this enough, to work out our salvation is to call upon God in the minutia of our everyday life. Each and every one of us, you know, Andrew, have situations that we encounter where we need more of God, (laughs) and God is the always more, so we invoke that presence, how God might be working in a particular situation, even when it makes no sense, so as to go deeper in God. Uh, We use the word mystery, and sometimes we use it pretty loosely. The word mystery uh, simply means in the Greek, that which is inexhaustible, right? The mysterium. God's love is inexhaustible in our invocation of Abba, Father, we tap into that inexhaustible, that infinite, that eternal gift of self-sacrifice. But how much of Christ can we really see if, we're all, if, if we are all bound up in sin, mm. and if we haven't given ourselves as a bond slave to Christ? Yeah. But, it, I mean, there, there literally are people that they... they <laughs> yeah, I, I want to use the word... Rome in Catholic to say they roam in twice a year for Easter and yeah, Christmas. Yeah, yeah, I've, I, but they, <laughs> I've heard the phrase, and, <laughs> and, and and unfortunately, all that does is just appease the conscience. Now, the grace of God can work in those two moments where they go to Easter Mass and, and Christmas mm-hmm. Mass, and God can pierce their hearts. But Jesus makes it clear in His Beatitude: "Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God." What He desires is that we see him as we ought. And that's such an important spiritual truth in the the process of becoming more sanctified in Jesus Christ. It's to remember, Andrew, that when you talk about being sanctified, that's a Greek word, hagiazo. It literally translates as to be set apart. Now, this is something pretty radical in the New Testament because 
The only time that language would be used in the Old Testament was with things, right? But now in the New Testament, by the grace of God, things aren't being sanctified, but persons, persons in Jesus Christ, because he's given us this grace that is the very life and love of the triune God. So amen you're, to you're that. speaking to the fact that we hold these great riches in an earthen vessel, I, I believe is what you're referencing. Yes, yes, yes. That's well, well summarized. Yeah. I'm looking at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, mm. for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What is the tendency that we would have to boast? Why, why do we have to be saved something through something that we had nothing to do with so we don't have that fleshly desire to become arrogant arrogant in our salvation we are finite beings right the whole point andrew of the incarnation is to make what uh, is human more divine that we might fully realize our potential if we are ever going to realize the potential of becoming the best version of who we are called to be with the understanding that we cannot do it on our own we need we need his grace. We need his very life and love. When I hear the word grace, Andrew, I correlate it with sap. Uh, What is sap? Sap contains all the hormones of the tree, uh, the water of the tree, all the life-giving properties of the tree, the very identity of the tree. This is grace. Grace unmerited is given to us that we might participate in the very life of God. We receive in baptism all of the life-giving properties of God, the very identity of God. Even in the gift of the Holy Spirit, we think of it in the context of possession, like I give you something and now you possess it. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a total turning over of identity. And here's the thing. When you talk about the identity of God, what you're talking about is, well, love, what I spoke to earlier, to will the good of the other. You never fully possess God, per se, the way we think about possessing something as given to us. Why? Because what we are given is love, and love is other-centered. One of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith is the very thing we receive is the first thing we need to give away. And this is how we are imbued with more love. So this verse, "...for it is by grace you have been saved." Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. As we live out our faith in love, it's not by our doing, at best a cooperation in grace, but by what God does in and through us. But do you see that as being necessarily a requirement because the human nature couldn't be saved any other way? That the only way that God was going to to bridge the gap was to allow it to be a free gift because he had tried every other possible alternative? I think you'd have to say yes to the point that this is what has been revealed, right? This is what Jesus did. And as the definitive definition of love and how salvation was acquired, I look at it as ultimately the fullest measure by which we we become more human in him. Would you be okay characterizing it as the f- the free gift of salvation, and then just people have the choice of whether or not to open the gift? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one thing we have to understand, and again, this goes back to the nature of love, love never comes from without, but always from within. You can never impose love. I get the question asked all the time, Andrew, 
if God was so good, why is there evil in the world? Well, (laughs) it's because God is so good. God is so loving that there's evil in the world because you cannot love without the gift of free will. So going back to your observation, I would say emphatically, yes, because in the end, that's what it's all about. The Christian life is about making the decision for Christ in each and every moment of our day, as I was highlighting earlier, and out from that, again, not to overstate it, but to highlight it and emphasize it, this is how we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And if you're going, if you're going to make a decision, you have to be presented with the alternatives. Yeah. And I think that God's will is for none to perish. People are all given the gift through one way or another. They have that choice to either accept or reject Christ, but then we we can choose to not open it, we can choose to go another direction, and that's our free will choice, and it, those choices have consequences. Yeah, and, and something else here I would highlight, Andrew, is that this gift comes to us in other people, and sometimes the most unsuspecting person. The last person that you want to be around is the very gift from God for you. Mm-hmm. Because God says to you and I, you don't know how to fully love me infinitely, but I can show you how to love your brother and sister in Christ as you love them in me. And this is the great gift, the great gift of ultimately who we are in relationship to one another as we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is why Jesus says, you know, in Matthew 25, to the least of your brethren, you did it unto me. And what a profound gift that is to be able to love that last person that we would want to love and that be how we love God the most. That's what Jesus promises us in the gospel. And I go there because it would be very easy to go elsewhere. I think the gospel message says, put that most difficult person before you and learn the language of love because this is what he does on the cross. The very person he came for is the very person that rejected him. So the very people that we become gifts for, even when they reject us, we are still yet called to rise above and love them more all the same. One can even say, Andrew, that to have that love rejected is to share intimately in the cross and to experience, I think, a profound unity with Christ on the cross. And do you feel like that would tie in at all with Matthew chapter 7 and the judge not lest you be judged and with whatever judgment that you do judge, then that, that same measure will be used against you. In that aspect, that even in the little things and the relationships and the people that maybe we don't want to associate with, how we treat them is what's going to be treated ultimately to us. Yeah, yeah. And, and something to highlight there too, uh, Andrew, is that specifically in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, he's speaking to a condemnation. You know, the word judgment is condemnation. Mm. Uh, We have to be careful on one hand to say we never judge because we judge all the time for the sake of our own good. We make a judgment call of when to go and when to stop when we see a red light and a green light, right? Right, right. We, we, We judge all the time. But what Jesus is talking about is the judgment of the heart, which we do so often. <laughs> we, we judge what motivates people. 
and we speak down on people. Do you think it could also be prejudging someone else's salvation to say, well, you're not as saved as I am? Uh, that, that's part of it, yeah. Which is, of course, incredibly dangerous because we are not the arbiter, right? We always rely upon the mercy of God. But I would say, yeah, it speaks to some of that. But just going back to the original reason why you brought this up, I think it's very relevant because we have to embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ. And certainly part of that is to genuinely speak truth in love. And there what I mean is that the person who you are loving really senses that there is a gentleness there, there is a kindness there, there is a reverence there. There's a reason why Paul time and time and time again says that when you chasten your brother, when you bring your brother into a more profound relationship with Jesus Christ, you do so with gentleness and reverence. These are very important virtues and spiritual fruits because they express that beautiful dynamism that is love. Why do you feel like the religious leaders went to Jesus and said, uh, said you are a good, good teacher, good father, and Jesus turns to them and says, there is none good but God? Do you think he's making a, a judgment as far as what's in his flesh and what is in the Spirit? Yeah, I think what he wants us to see there, Andrew, is that while on one level we can uh, determine and decipher what is good and not good with our finite understanding of things, in the end it points to what is infinite. And what Jesus wants those around him to see is that only God can determine the fullness of what is good. And I, I can see that as him giving glory to the Father, e even though he was God, and he was saying, as future believers read this, they need to know what to do and say when people are heaping praises on them. And he says, the only thing good about me is the Father. Yeah. Why are you calling me Father? Why are you calling me good? Yeah. And, I, and, and sometimes Christians don't see that, and they say, yes, you're right. I'm such a good teacher. Yeah, and, and who is to say that you're a good teacher? Right? right. <laughs> I mean, I get the question asked often, Andrew, Joe, why do I need to go to church if I do good things? Not every good is a willed good. Mm. There are a lot of good things we can do insofar as we can determine what is good, but only in the light of our relationship with God can we understand what the willed good is. I often go to the analogy and the relationship between uh, me and my son. Uh, on one particular occasion, Andrew, my son came to me when he was six years old, and he said, and this is a true story, mm. hey, Dad, I'm going to go outside and pull weeds. Okay. <laughs> you know? And I looked at him like, great, son. He's, and he you know, had an extra kick in his step because he knew he was pleasing you know, his father. And yet I realized as he was heading out the door that it was kind of late in the afternoon, and I needed to get the dinner table ready. We were having people over for my wife's birthday. We were celebrating my wife's birthday. And so I, I had to tell him to come back in before he even before he even went out the door. And I had to explain to him that the more pressing matter was to help me get the dinner table ready. And he looked at me strangely. Mm. And he said, Dad, are you telling me you don't want me to pull weeds? And he actually said, that's a good thing, right, Dad? Oh. And I said, well, of course that's a good thing. The will good of your dad for this moment is to help me out, okay? I want you to do that, but maybe tomorrow or the next day. And so here again, I think, lies an important point as it relates to the good. Not even what is good 
might be the willed good of the Heavenly Father. That's right. I think that has to be a part of our discussion as we speak to the good, because, again, it kind of goes back to, if I dare say, thesis of this evening's program, <laughs> that's how you work out your salvation and fear and right. trembling. And, right, and that's why we don't take pride in it and boast in it. Yes, yes, and yes. I, I think it all comes down to God's perfect timing, mm. because it's still... I was taught as, as a young child growing up in the church that it can be sinful to read the Bible. If that's all you do, if you lock yourself in a closet and 24-7 you read scriptures, you are committing a sin against God because you're not going out and sharing, and you're also not living it, and you're also sequestering yourself. So even reading scripture, if it's not proper timing, can be sinful. It can be against the will of God. And I, I think that's probably the only thing that we have to worry about as Christians you can do the right thing, you can do the greater good, you can make a better choice, a decision in the moment. But if you let things, circumstances get away from you and you become encapsulated almost in your belief or in your uh, escape mentality that all you need Christ is for salvation, then you, you miss the opportunities right around you to become a bridge to people and to, to forgive them the way God forgives you and then so forgiving point them back to Christ when you say there's none good but God. Yeah, faith without works is dead. You know, Paul also says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we are to pray without ceasing. But that doesn't necessarily mean to read Scripture 24-7, because Scripture itself points to the works. Uh, what that means, rather, is to make all of those works part of your prayer as well. Uh, that just 24-7, 365, ongoing conversation with God. And uh, yeah, I think you speak to it well. And that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yes. It's, it should be the, the easiest thing we can do is to submit to the will of God at that moment. Not that it's easy to do, but it's the easiest. In our, it should be our default mechanism to submit to the will of God in this very second of time. Yeah. And then put all the burden on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. The first Christians used to say that the greatest prayer is to say thank you. Mm. Thank you for all that you have done for me. Thank you for all that you have provided for me. Thank you for all that you are. And yet the easiest thing to do, the least costliest thing to do, we mm. find it so stinking hard, you know? <laughs> and so just circling, I think, back to our original point, uh, we enter into, Andrew, this dynamism of faith that opens us up once we understand faith for what it is mm -hmm. to the importance and centrality of our relationship with Jesus Christ, our relationship with the Holy Spirit, where we invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit into our lives each and every day. And as we do, we turn our days into days of prayer, days of sanctification, days where we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Mm. Amen. So, okay. Amen. All right. <laughs> we are out of time. Well, Andrew, thanks again for joining me. When Andrew joins me, he just kind of joins me on the spot. So again, I appreciate the gift of your time, Andrew. Let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. 
If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.